This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Tonight I want to speak about boredom. And it may surprise some of you, but some people actually think meditation is boring. I've even heard people say the breath is boring, or just sitting quietly is boring. So I want to look at what boredom is and how we experience it. But first, I'm curious, what bores you? What do you find boring in your life? So when we consider what is boredom in a meditation context, we basically see it as a hindering force, a force or an aspect of experience that prevents us from being aware and awake to what's actually happening. It's often considered one of the manifestations of aversion as an aversive state, because when we're bored, we're basically not liking what's happening. But boredom as a state also has an aspect of restlessness to it, a sloth and torpor, dullness, doubt, and also the desire for something else to be happening. So basically when boredom arises, we have all the five classic hindrances of desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. From a meditative standpoint, boredom arises because we're not bringing enough attention, mindfulness, interest to the experience. We're basically not meeting it and seeing it fully. We don't quite connect with that experience to actually know what is happening in the present moment. But instead, we keep ourselves just slightly apart from that encounter. If we looked at the mental factors, we might say that the two factors, or the, particularly the factor of vitaka, is weak, but also vichara. Vitaka refers to the directing of mind to the experience, and vichara to the sustaining of attention on that perception. And when we're bored, we're usually not directing our attention to it. We're letting the mind wander off into anything else. And we're not sustaining our attention on it. Boredom, for some people, might almost seem like a luxury when our lives get so busy. It might be like a dream to take a couple of days off and do absolutely nothing until we're bored. Or imagining the moment, the time when we can retire into some kind of luxurious bliss of relaxing, quiet simplicity. But many people have very beautiful homes and no time to live in them. Our culture fills our senses with excessive opportunities for entertainment and for social or political drama. So the quiet moments sometimes get missed. 
those quiet moments, perhaps of a meditation session or of an unstructured Saturday afternoon, might seem boring or uninteresting rather than an opportunity to simply be at ease with the unfolding of momentary experience. Until we've cultivated the ability to be present with refined and subtle experiences, we may even fall asleep as soon as we start to grow calm and quiet. Even desirable states like tranquility, equanimity, and calmness, for many people at first appear dull or boring. If we're not accustomed to bringing attention to the subtle and quiet aspects of our lives, we might miss peace and tranquility when the conditions for them arise in our lives. But overcoming boredom is not just about relaxing into our leisure moments. The energy of boredom is basically an energy of separation. It's an expression of isolation. If chronic, it can feel like we're living in a bubble of dullness, discontent, and apathy. Do you sometimes feel bored with something just because it's familiar? Boredom is not caused by simple familiarity, but it may come when there's a lack of interest, a lack of juice perhaps because we're not finding the personal advantage in a situation. When there's no self-interest, our ambition has nothing to grow on. There is an inherent unsatisfactoriness, a suffering in polydukkha, in looking for objects for satisfaction and identity. We simply can't find satisfaction through any object. Entertainments, certainly not TV, as came up many times in this this circle, um, certainly entertainments are not going to give us the happiness that we seek. The fundamental insight with boredom is that we're looking for satisfaction externally and it cannot be found there. The habit of directing our energies toward external attainments keeps us from cultivating an intimate relationship with some of the quiet things that appear in our lives. So much restlessness is based just on looking for stimulation, for external satisfaction, shifting from one hoped-for happiness to the next. This restless movement is simply ignoring the underlying truth that things are unsatisfactory. They're not a basis for our happiness. There is dukkha. The problem is not the object of our attention, but it is in the quality of our attention. Perhaps boredom is a signal to us, a signal to look more closely, to pay greater attention, to tune into the experience, to look into our relationship to it, to question our expectations for it. 
You may be familiar with the common Zen story that says, if it's boring, do it again. If it's still boring, then do it again. And if it continues to be boring, do it again and again and again and again and again until you find something interesting in it. If you're not interested in an experience, but it's something that you must do anyway in your life, then take the opportunity to study it, to look really closely at it, almost like a science experiment, to observe it, to examine it. Like you have a fascination with dusting. (laughs) What does it actually feel like to move the body and to dust? What would it be like to do that with complete and total attention, to feel the reaching, to feel the pressure, to experience it fully? To notice if there's any sense of pride when it becomes clean. Or any sense of anger when there's like a lot of dust hidden behind something that you haven't seen in a long time. If a friend bores you, maybe you could listen in a different way to it. To listen more deeply. To see perhaps what the yearning is of your friend in telling that story, to see what they're trying to express underneath the same old story that you might have already heard many times. If you're bored by the breath in meditation, then focus on the specific sensations, the changes, the nuances. Each breath is actually different. When we look carefully, we'll see that there are no two breaths that manifest exactly the same. Can we discern the differences? Can we look so carefully that we're actually interested in noticing the difference between the sensations of the inhalation and the exhalation, between the beginning of the breath and the end of the breath, between one breath and another? If your food or your drink is boring and dull, notice what it actually feels like, what it tastes like. If you're used to having the same meal that tastes the same all the time, then try to notice the different places on the tongue that are stimulated. What is the initial taste that you're attracted to? What is the last taste in your mouth? How does the texture change? From the first moment you put it in your mouth to the time you swallow it. What are the sensations involved in swallowing? What is the temperature when it enters your mouth? How much can you notice about the sensory encounter with food? Not just the I want this. Imagine how good it would taste if you couldn't choose what food you would eat. If you had just the same potatoes and onions every day for two months or for three months or for six months, how good whatever it is you think was boring would actually taste.
Sometimes people say, oh, this food is boring because they compare it to an ideal that they have in their minds and are not even connecting with the actual taste and texture of the food that is in their mouth. I often introduce mindfulness practice in introductory courses with a raisin eating exercise, which we did last Thursday in the Intro to Mindfulness course. And I love that exercise, not only because it shows that there's a lot more to mindfulness than sitting with our eyes closed. We can be aware and mindful and present in an action. But it also shows there's a lot more to any experience than we usually attend to. Most of the time, everybody in that course has previously eaten a raisin in their lives. And yet, many times people say, They'd never eaten a raisin like that before. The only thing we did different was do it slowly and mindfully. I remember when my grandmother had a series of heart attacks, and then in the hospital they took the tube out, and she she was conscious for a while, and she had a glass of water. And she said to me, Oh, water the best in the world. The next time you drink a glass of water, experience it. It can be a wonderful thing to drink plain, clean, fresh water. It's never the object, the experience that is boring. It's really the quality of our attention that makes something boring. When we are not open to appreciate the experience, we find it dull. Now, I want to mention a few things for those of you who sometimes find meditation boring. And I want to make six um, suggestions. The first is when boredom arises when you're meditating, to become mindful of boredom as a mental state. Don't blame what it is you think is boring, what turned you off, or, but turn your attention to boredom. So instead of thinking, oh, I'm bored with hearing those same old sounds, or I'm bored with this sensation, or I'm bored with the rising and falling and rising and falling and rising and falling. All I can feel is pressure, boring, boring pressure. Don't think about all of that. Look at boredom. Take the mental state as the object for the mindfulness. What is it like to feel bored? How does boredom arise? How does it shift? How does it change? What occurs in the mind when you're bored? What are the components of boredom? Can you tease out the disinterest, the judgment, the expectation for something more, the wish, the desire for something else, the restlessness, the desire for stimulation? Maybe you feel a heaviness in the body and you can experience boredom somewhere or somehow as a physical expression? Do you feel that echo of boredom somewhere in the body? Are there certain thoughts 
that usually precede boredom or usually follow boredom? And what do you reach to to alleviate the boredom? Do you go into sexual fantasy? Do you start planning something? Do you judge yourself? Do you judge the situation? Do you decide never to meditate again? Do you plan some project that you find more interesting? Do you pick up some movie or some book or some story or some TV program that you encountered in the past and replay it to entertain yourself a little bit? What does your mind do when you're bored? You can also notice the vitality of change. Boredom is not static. It is changing, just as everything else is. As you increase the interest, the interest is not to entertain oneself. The interest is to understand boredom so fully that you can liberate the mind from this obstructive force. The third suggestion is to apply an antidote, and the classic Buddhist antidote to boredom is appreciation. In Pali, it's called mudita, sympathetic joy or appreciative joy, and it is classified as the antidote to boredom. So when you're bored, you actively can look to see what is there that can be appreciated here. The fourth suggestion is to be watchful of the times when the mind contracts and clings to something. What is triggering that contraction and how do we recognize it? Because that contraction, that pulling away from experience is dukkha. Do we recognize that dukkha as an opportunity to realize the first noble truth where the Buddha said, there is suffering in life. If each time we encounter suffering and boredom and we just want to get rid of it, then we miss the opportunity to explore the first noble truth, that there is suffering. See that movement of contraction as suffering directly and clearly so that right in the midst of experience you have the potential and the opportunity for both an understanding of suffering and the release of suffering, the ending of that contraction. But just as there are some moments where there's contraction, there are some moments where there's an absence of contraction, where there's an absence of clinging. You might experience as release, as letting go, as a moment of freedom. Don't let these moments pass you by. They might be very peaceful and calm and easily slide by unnoticed because the mind is at rest. But these little experiences of freedom throughout our days are important to recognize, even if they're fleeting. We can also consider why we're meditating. 
if we're bored with meditation, we might take the opportunity to turn our attention to reflect upon our aim. What is it that we really want? Why are we meditating? And very often, what we want is peacefulness. And then when we start to taste peace, it might at first taste boring. (laughs) Or we might want to be calm and relaxed. And then we find, oh, that wasn't as exciting as I had hoped it would be. No, it's calm. It's relaxed. (laughs) And sometimes it takes a little bit for the mind to adjust to the exquisite happiness that comes from very refined and quite sublime states of peace and calm and stability and tranquility. One of the primary dangers that come with boredom is often that doubt arises along with the boredom. Do we doubt our capacity to realize the peace and the calmness and the release that we seek? I encourage you to accept boredom as a call to pay greater attention, as an invitation to look closer and to awaken. An image that's often given is of a diamond in the mud. Sometimes we pick up different rocks and it's all muddy and we don't see that that, that we might actually have a precious gem because it's covered. Sometimes those quiet moments when covered with mud seem boring, but when we look more closely, we realize it is a gem of peaceful calm. So notice how your mind relates to boredom. What do you do when you get bored? Often boredom arises not so much in the meditation, but throughout our lives. What do you do when you get sick? And you're too sick to read, you're too sick to talk to anybody, and you're kind of stuck at home for a some days or some weeks. You know, okay, the first day or so of lying around, it could be refreshing if you've had a busy time at work. But after a while, it gets kind of boring (laughs) for many people, and there's an eagerness not only to get healthy, but to engage in more stimulating activity. Well, rather than wait for that opportunity to engage, engage with the boredom, engage with the sickness. Engage with how the body feels right then. Have you ever been traveling and gotten stuck somewhere? I've been stuck a number of places. I was in Sri Lanka when um, one of their, when there was a a, a, um, political violence and there was mass curfews throughout the uh, country. And we were not allowed to leave the hotels. So we just, had to stay there for days. It was almost a week before the curfew was lifted. And that wasn't exactly what I had planned to do for my time in Sri Lanka. <laughs> but that was the situation. 
Um, I've at different times gotten sick in different countries and just had to stay where I was alone in a hotel room or alone in some dharmsala or monastery or someplace, just sitting there being miserable <laughs> until the sickness passed and I was able to travel again. I'm sure some of you have gotten stuck in an airport for four hours, for six hours, for ten hours, each time looking at the gate, and it's just delayed another two hours. Then you have to come back and check, and it's just delayed another hour, and then you have to come back and check. Well, now they send these to your iPhone, so it's not so bad, but, um, but it, it can be... You've gotten stuck places, I'm sure. What do you do with those times when you're bored? Do you eat? Do you drink? Do you shop? Do you complain? Do you walk? Well, nowadays when you go to some of these big airports, they're like shopping malls. So they know that people are stuck and they're bored and they have nothing to do but to shop. (laughs) Otherwise, those places wouldn't be making all that business. It's not the place you go when you decide you want to buy some article that you run down to the airport to get it. (laughs) I've spoken with some people who've um, spent time in, in prison. And it's a very boring situation. Very, very boring. And so what they often do is sleep. Do you notice that when you have to do something that's boring, that you just fall asleep to pass the time a little bit? In lots of these situations, we might find that we take care of our business. Okay, you have a certain amount of work to do, and you can do it. Maybe, like in the hotels, okay, we flossed our teeth, we clipped our toenails, we lotioned our skin, we washed our laundry, we watched it dry. (laughs) We walked around the, 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 the courtyard of the hotel, and then what? What could you do? Okay, you could take longer naps. But you can only sleep so much and then the back aches. What do you do? Basically, it's suffering until you decide to pay attention. It's suffering until that wake-up moment happens that says, this is the present moment and there's still a body and a mind. And it's an opportunity to be mindful, to be aware Until that time, we're locked into an aversive state, telling ourselves, this is not what I planned, this is not how it should be. And it doesn't help when we're locked in an aversive state to try to then tell ourselves, I should let go, this shouldn't bother me, I should relax. We have to clue in that it is boredom and bring our attention to that state. And then it can be an amazing opportunity for realization. But until we recognize the boredom and recognize that we have the capacity to be aware of it, to be awake to it, we'll be seduced into aversion either toward the experience or person that we're finding boring 
or will fantasize about other opportunities or other places or other things that will be more interesting. Knowing it's boredom is when it gets interesting. So I encourage you, the next time boredom arises, to look clearly at this suffering state that we call boredom. See that happiness can never be found through anything that would distract you from it. And now recontextualize that experience as boredom as your opportunity to discover freedom. Freedom through boredom. Not distraction, but going right to the heart of what's boring. Here is the chance to free your mind from dukkha, from suffering. Be present for this classic form of dissatisfaction. People often avoid anything boring because we resist the knowledge that, frankly, life just isn't entertaining and pleasing. We want it to be, all the time, entertaining for us. And it isn't. Watch what the mind does without creating additional suffering on top of the dissatisfaction that's already arisen. See how it goes to distraction and constructs fantasies or desires to go shop for, to go entertain ourselves, and imagines better places to be or what we'll be doing when this situation passes. If you're bored when you're doing laundry, when you're dusting, when you're doing a chore, don't think about what, will, what you'll be able to do when it's finished, just to try to get it over with more quickly. Maybe slow down a little bit and experience it even more fully. Sometimes when we're bored, the mind moves in reaction through greed, grasping novelty, grasping something that will be more interesting. And sometimes it moves in anger, blaming, condemning the situation for happening. Why do I have to be here? Why did this happen to happen to me? Why do I have to do this? This is uh, my time is more important than this. Every unpleasant experience can become a question. A question, how do I relate? to the unpleasant experiences of life? Is the relationship one that is entangling me further in suffering? Is there another way of relating free from suffering? How can I find the freedom right in the encounter with this unpleasant experience? There will always be unsatisfactory experiences and unpleasant encounters that we can cultivate aversion toward, if we wish, or cultivate liberating insight with, if we choose. The liberation from boredom is not going to be found with an endlessly exciting life through thrill-seeking and keeping ourselves busy. It'll be found through a transformation 
from aversion into an insight into dukkha, an understanding of the basic unsatisfactoriness of all conditioned things. The first noble truth says that in life there is suffering. There is unsatisfactoriness in conditioned phenomena. Sense within yourself if you resist this truth. If there's resistance, then let that resistance guide you back to face the truth of the experience. You don't need to get sidetracked by blaming conditions just because they're not interesting. We find the freedom by facing those simple and uninteresting situations. And so we shift the attention off the transient things that we demand so much of to consider a possibility much vaster, a possibility of investigating boredom and then looking beyond boredom, of investigating the conditioned, the conditioned reactions that we have so that we can look beyond condition, conditioning. To understand the characteristic of dukkha, of suffering, as the first noble truth so that we can go beyond the realm of suffering. The conditioned is seen clearly so that we can realize the unconditioned. It is possible for each of us to relate to our own experience, even the mundane experiences of life, with wisdom, rather than just through personal demand, desire, aversion, or self-interest. We don't need to demand anything from our experiences. Our experiences are happening. That's the fact. Whatever is happening is what's happening. We don't need them to be new or more exciting or more exotic, fashionable, in style, impressive, or successful than they actually are. We can look instead at things as they actually are, at relationships, at activities, at our roles and possessions. Are we seeking all these experiences as forms that will fulfill us or as a means to discover a free relationship to life? A relationship to life that demands nothing but is willing to open to what is just because it is. I'd like to pose a few questions for your reflection. Again, to consider in what conditions does boredom tend to arise for you and how do you deal with it? How do you recognize that boredom has arisen? What do you tend to do when you feel bored? What's your habitual reaction? And take 
take a moment to envision yourself responding to a similarly boring situation in a more skillful, mindful, or insightful way. We have just less than 10 minutes left, and I think it might be nice to just um, circle up into little groups, maybe two, three, four people. Well, make it three or four people just in case you find your partner boring. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, um, get into little small groups and um, maybe share a little bit of your reflections on boredom and how particularly focusing not on complaining about all the boring things that you have to deal with in life, um, but, uh, but instead try to, to, to consider ways that you might transform your relationship to something that habitually seems boring to you. Maybe if you discuss it in a group, there might be a way of considering um, how to be more awake or more present in it, to use a boring situation as an opportunity for mindfulness. So we'll take just a few minutes to, to circle up. And if you came with a partner, then turn to a different person.